Today's episode of the Podcast Master side of a special five-part series I've recorded, catching up on lost episodes of Interpreting Wine. No doubt, as you may have noticed, on occasion some time will pass between the recording of an episode and it being published. These five episodes were all recorded back in 2018 and never found a space on the podcast that year in among the 220 episodes and numerous series that I recorded then. So what better way to draw light to the fantastic guests and give them their own series now? We kick things off today with Ivo Varbanov in an episode that I recorded shortly before the European Confederation of Independent Wine Growers Tasting last year. This is the first time that I've covered Bulgarian wine on the podcast. In his episode, Ivo gives us a history of the fair before giving us a primer on Bulgarian wine and telling us about some of the Bulgarian producers who are on show at the fair. Enjoy. Since uh, 2015, um, the Bulgarian Association of Independent Wine Growers was organizing a tasting in London, a trade tasting, uh, which was generally in the Bulgarian embassy. We had something like 15, 16, 17 producers, and... um, it was a quite successful event, but we thought that things could be even better. And having um, a position as a vice president of the European Confederation of Independent Wine Growers, which has uh, something like 12,000 wine producers across Europe in different countries, um, I proposed last year. Uh, when we had the annual general meeting in Brussels. uh, I proposed uh, to extend the invitation to all other countries, members of CEVI, and um, try to do something a little bit bigger uh, for several reasons. One, because we thought that uh, we had a certain limitation just as a national association to present our work simply because, of course, uh, Bulgaria has a very uh, interesting reputation, let's put it this way, in terms of winemaking, because uh, it used to be in the 80s a large producer in terms of volume, but not of exactly premium ultra, ultra premium quality. Since the late 90s, things did change in terms of uh, production, ownership of vineyards, etc. So there was a very quick and uh, and positive development of the industry. Uh, but the message was slightly different. We wanted to to communicate because we are um, small, independent wine growers, which means that we do everything from A to Z, from the vineyard to the winemaking to the selling of the wine, and therefore extending it to the European family um, this tasting uh, it would have had of course a positive image for us as well Uh, but it is something that has not been done so far in the past so it was I think an idea which everyone liked uh, at our meeting in Brussels and we started working on uh, on the project unfortunately a couple of countries could not attend simply because they already had their uh, schedule completely full 
of events. The Portuguese actually had uh, a tasting in London just, uh, I think, a few weeks ago. Or, uh, and uh, so, therefore, uh, they welcomed very much the idea, but decided that for this year they won't manage to participate. So, in fact... Uh, we are slightly reduced in terms of numbers, but I think it's a very good start for a first um, event of such nature. Um, we have 66 producers, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and that is, I think, a very positive start. Talking a little bit about CV, um, the European Confederation of Independent Wine Growers, or like the French is the Confederation Européenne de Vignerons de Pendant. Um, it's been around for 15 years, based in Paris. Um, has basically the main function is to protect the interests of small producers, especially on a European level and on a national level in the various countries. Uh, so it's a form of syndicate. But um, since probably two years, um, we've been discussing quite a lot about the possibility to um, show as well what is really an independent wine grower. Because often when we had talks in Brussels talking about agricultural policies and different issues, we've noticed that the people on the other side of the, of the barricade were not very understanding what it means. So uh, this was the other reason why we decided to start showing what we really do. Also because the times are mature. On a national level, the French vigneron, the National Association of France, the Italians and the Portuguese, they all of this association do tastings as such. So it would make perfectly sense to organize something which is common because we share the same uh, working ethics, the same philosophy of winemaking and uh, very similar as well agricultural practices. In most cases they are uh, organic and biodynamic producers uh, or n less interventionalist and definitely not industrial practices of winemaking. So it is um, a very specific product and it's part of the overall European cultural heritage that product the, all the national association function is a, in a very similar way um, it's by invitation and by not by application which means that um, we invite members which with the, they need to cover specific criteria uh, they are not criteria of quality only but there are of um, each association has some specific rules but in general uh, you need to own your own vineyard so you don't buy more than 50% of the grapes that you use to make wine so uh, it's not a negociant it's, uh, it's a wine grower uh, then you make your own wine this can be either in your own premises or somewhere else and also you participate in the um, of course in the bottling and selling of the product so it's uh, A to Z basically criteria uh, quality of course is important but of course there are some 
uh, producers who are small or who are improving their their work uh, uh, things are not so linear there are, there are things that of course uh, can be improved but also something which is very important um, for our for instance for the Bulgarian Association is that we invite people who can work in a team people who are able to uh, to put on, on, on the side their ego and work together as a team to try to develop um, the whole um, winemaking basically uh, philosophy and 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 um, and working ethics in the country. So I'm yet to really talk about or really um, cover Bulgarian wine on the podcast. And you know, sitting next to you here, it would be great to just have your overview on kind of where you guys are and how far um, I guess you've developed from that previous situation where where it was very much about bulk and perhaps the quality suffered as a result. Yes. Um, so, a little bit of background about, uh, yes, the previous 40 years. So, uh, after World War II, uh, of course, uh, having a communist system in place, uh, everything was nationalized. Therefore, uh, the, the, the government decided to create a serious business, specifically for bulk wine and for wine uh, produced at a very low uh, price point um, despite the country having the potential to make uh, even very fine wines uh, in that direction the, the government did a really good job in a sense that created very efficient uh, large wineries, very efficient cooperatives um, growing grapes and managed to create a very competitive product uh, at least in that price bracket. Uh, of course, the development in the research was also there at the time, so they knew exactly what they were doing. They were doing what what was required from that price point. And uh, in, in fact, it was very successful. Like in the UK in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, Bulgarian wine was selling very well at very good prices, and people were very happy. Lots of lots of uh, older generation people uh, remember have really fond memories of those kind of wines um, what happened in 1989 is that the system changed the political system and therefore little by little there was a completely change of of the ownership of some large wineries into private corporations and by the late 90s, uh, some producers came on the market. Um, small producers, in some cases, um, wine lovers who had a bit of money and decided that they wanted to make wine, which is fairly common, I would say. And also some winemakers who managed through some European funding programs and some other projects to to create small uh vineyards and uh, wineries um, at the moment there are 350 wine producers in the country which is a considerable number because we are talking only about less than 20 years of, uh, of uh, modern winemaking 
Um, historically, Bulgaria has tradition in winemaking, despite being under the Ottoman Empire for over five centuries. Um, the tradition was not lost. Um, we have a different approach, like uh, compared, for instance, to Greeks, which are our so- southern neighbors, because we don't have so many indigenous varietals. Perhaps some of them were lost uh, in, these tra- tra- in all these transitions, uh, but we do work well with, I would say, a mix of international and indigenous varietals. In, in fact, uh, probably in the future, some of the indigenous will develop further uh, in terms of quality specifically. But at the moment, it's very difficult to work only with indigenous simply because um, the lack of uh, serious funding for the research is something that is impossible to tackle as a small producer simply because that is something that is done generally by universities or or research centers and that is something that a vigneron or winemaker cannot afford to do and it also takes probably a good 10 years to do a research project on a varietal um, I think one of the important things that it's the strength is the terroir we have being a small country we do have lots of different terroirs half of the country has a more continental climate and the rest is more Mediterranean Uh, it's possible to make both white and red wines uh, and some international brothers like like Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot work very well in that kind of terroir but even there are some surprises nowadays um, some people have planted Tempranillo others have planted Sangiovese <laughs> we have Viognier Petit Mansang uh, and also some unusual grapes like Recazzitelli which in fact has been there for for a long time because it was planted during communist time so a Georgian varietal has been there for more than 50 years um, our local varieties are Mavrud, Meonic, Rubin, which is a very promising crossing uh, between Nebbiolo and Syrah, then Gumza, which is the Hungarian Kadarka, and then some white varieties like Dimyat and uh, Tamianka. These are more or less the local varieties which we work with as well. So the, there are 15 Bulgarian wineries going to be coming over for the for the tasting. Um, I want to do one thing now. Is this actually focus in on could be one or maybe two of the wineries that are coming over, and and I guess for you to tell us their story in a, in a bit more depth and um, give us a, a sort of a different angle of that story of people now moving towards a more quality-driven approach to winemaking? Yes. um, There are several interesting things coming to this, several interesting wines coming to this tasting. So it's very difficult to pick um, things that I I think are representative. In fact, I would say there are at least four or five wines which are really strong in terms of quality and also the originality of their work. I could probably mention 
um, at least three which are very interesting in my opinion uh, one is in the northwest of the country uh, Borovica which um, in fact is one of the fir- very first one a uh, couple of two winemakers uh, started that project uh, a man and a lady uh, unfortunately uh, two years ago the the gentleman who started it passed away but the the work is being carried on by by his partner and um, they are focused on uh, single vineyard wines so in fact they do make maybe uh, 40 different wines uh, and each one is from a specific parcel so sometimes there are wines which are in the region of 500 or 600 bottles only um, parcel so in fact this is very interesting in terms of uh, philosophy on winemaking it's a very natural approach um, it's somehow untouched the wine uh, and express very much the vineyard um, so I believe this is a very interesting project um, in terms of the quality and the originality of their work. Um, I think uh, another interesting producer is uh, definitely uh, in uh, in the Sliven region, Rossidi, who works uh, mainly with international varietals, so Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Gewürztraminer, so being in the sub-Balkan area and having a slightly cooler climate compared to the rest of the southern part of the country. Um, he's producing very elegant and fine wines focusing on uh, on international varietal. He makes uh, as well a Rubin. Uh, as I said earlier, it's a crossing of Nebbiolo and Syrah, but that is from purchased grapes. So in fact, he's about to plant some of that, uh, some uh, small vineyard of that varietal. Uh, of course, uh, I can say a few words about myself, which I think uh, also it's a project which is quite interesting because simply um, I had a completely different approach with, in the vineyard compared to everyone else in the area. Um, I did a lot of things that. Um, were never done before uh, having a very um, respectful towards nature approach uh, therefore the preparation of uh, of the land for the vineyard and the treatment of the land afterwards has been uh, using principles of biodynamics and organic farming and I'm very proud to say that we never used any herbicides, pesticides or any other uh, things that are actually killing the 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 soil so um, in fact um, my probably most well-known wine the Syrah which I make uh, some people say it's probably the best Syrah produced in the country and um, I think it's simply because I'm not a winemaker I'm a musician but simply I have really good fruits to work with so this is a perfect example of an expression of terroir I do believe that this is this tasting specifically it's a very good start as well for um, the UK market to understand clearly and better uh, the difference uh, between uh, independent independent wine growers and uh, more industrial oriented producers 
um, of course lots of independent retailers and of course sommeliers in the top restaurants in, in specifically in London uh, do know that difference and they are aware but for uh, less known party parts of the world and like also Bulgaria um, I have encountered as an example an importer who was claiming that he's importing um, only artisan producers and because he was not really aware that in fact the, the Bulgarian producer he was actually distributing it's a producer who makes 1.5 million bottles so in fact I think it's very important to understand this because price wise those kind of wines are very competitive and it would be very beneficial as well for the UK market uh, in this precise moment where things are a little bit difficult uh, taking into account the, 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 the drop of the pound and um, the prices which are obviously going up and the cost of uh, running businesses like restaurants, shops, rents etc. are very high um, so it's a really good opportunity uh, for importers to know better uh, these kind of products which I think will only help them improve their business Thank you so much Evo although quite a bit of time has passed since our interview I still think there's loads here that the listener can learn from and I'd be excited to feature any other Bulgarian producers or wines on the podcast in the future. I've left below details of Ivo Varbonov wines themselves, as well as the website of the European Confederation of Independent Wine Growers and the Bulgarian Association of Independent Wine Growers. So do check those out. And of course, I'd love to have you following along with me on social media, where I'm at Interpreting Wine on Instagram and Facebook at Wine Podcast on Twitter and email hello at interpretingwine.com We've got a real treat next time in this special Lost Episode series. As you may have heard last year, I did extensive coverage with Dynamic Vines of their portfolio tasting back in October. However, long before that, back in May 2018, Frederick Grepp was kind enough to invite me along to record a tasting with Frank Pascal in London, which will be next time on this special Lost Episode series. See you then.